0: We're six months into this pandemic. Children are back at school. We're all trying to adapt to living with the virus, but how are parents and kids really coping and what can they do to plan for a potentially long winter ahead? Hello, it's so lovely to talk to you again. Thanks so much for joining me for this first episode of Okay Season 2. I really hope that you are doing well and that whether you're in lockdown in Dublin or adjusting to our collective new reality elsewhere in the country, that, you know, you're managing to just sort of keep on keeping on and that you're having more good days than bad. We've been on such a roller coaster over the last six months and here at UOK, we've decided that season two is going to be a wee bit different from season one. We're going to release a new episode on the last Friday of every month until the end of the year, focusing on a different group of people each time, how they're getting on, what challenges they may be facing and what supports might help. We're going to be talking about work, how that's changed, how it's affected us and what you can do to cope if you're facing into an uncertain future professionally or if you've lost your job. We'll also be talking about loneliness, people who may be living alone or as can happen quite often, people who live in busy houses but just feel isolated. We'll have all of that and more coming up over the next few episodes but today we're picking things back up with children and their parents. Now I think We all exhaled when schools reopened a few weeks ago, but, you know, children are returning to a school experience they've never encountered before. And of course, we are still living in a pandemic. Later on, I'll be talking to Colman Noctor about the impact on young people. But first, primary school teacher and drama therapist Claire Farley gives us an insight into how we can support younger children at this time.
1: The main thing that has kind of changed is the big warning signs as you go into the primary school, and you know, the children are coming in at different times, they each have their allocated times. The teachers are in earlier, and um, they sanitize on the way in, the way out. But as the classroom goes, we kind of each child knows where they're sitting, they have their kind of pods and things like that. And we're trying to keep it as normal in the inverted commas as we can because, um, after all, I suppose the children come to school to learn and they come to see their friends, and they really that over the pandemic so that's the kind of thing that we're putting at the top of it is to try and make sure that they feel safe in school even though it is a changed environment and that they get to have fun with their friends Do the teachers are the teachers wearing
0: some kind of form of a mask or a PPE or what level of that is in primary yeah, school? Yeah so
1: we do yeah we're encouraged to wear masks if we're in close contact with the children and um, we're also kind of wearing visors the majority of the time because even if you're not directly in the two metres you could be kind of within say you know three metres of them. So mm-hmm. we wear visors kind of constantly. But so I suppose the visor is good because at least then they can still see your full face and a lot it. of that non-verbal communication they can pick up on. Yeah, exactly. And we kind of purchased a few masks with the clear front to them. Oh, so yeah. we're able to see that so they can see their arm mouth when we're moving. And, you know, they kind of because a lot of the time when you're dealing with children you're talking about you know their language and particularly the younger ones they're kind of mimicking you or they're taking Mm. up on your speech so they need to be able to see your mouth to to, you know do that Yeah there's a whole
0: load of sort of ramifications in a primary school class that you just don't think of that like literally people are still learning those kinds of things (laughs) like the shapes of letters in your mouth and pronounced stuff of course and
1: play is so important for the junior kids so obviously like if you're going to be teaching them how to play teaching them how to work in pairs you have to be down on the floor with them you have to be working with them Most kids, certainly any kids I know, were just
0: dying to get back to school. A friend of mine I went to visit, I think she was due back in school on a Tuesday and I went to the the house on a Thursday and she answered the door in her uniform. And her mum was like, she just wanted to put it on because she's so excited. I thought, (laughs) oh my God, that's so adorable. (laughs) How in your experience are they, are small children and um, primary school children coping as a whole? Like, do they seem any more anxious or not or have they just, do they kind of seem the same?
1: Well, it's kind of half and half. So the children who would have maybe had a little bit of anxiety before the pandemic, theirs is kind of heightened and then children who would have been able to cope quite well with it, they're showing little signs of anxiety. Um, There's some school refusals um, that they're kind of, they're anxious from the separation now with their parents because they're so used to being with their parents for the six months and a lot Parents are working at home, and it's that kind of anxiety now. Around, oh, when I get home, will mommy still be there? Will daddy still be there? Will my mind still be there? Um, so, there is that kind of element of the separation particularly Mm. and then when they get to school there's that kind of unknown you know is there going to be another lockdown will I get to see my friends tomorrow Mm. is this kind of uncertainty around it Um, but yes the children are just delighted to be in the same room as their friends and as much as possible they're kind of asking questions like are we doing this that we did last year are we doing this that we did last year so you know we're kind of trying to bring some normality from last year but kind of saying to them look it is disappointing we mightn't be able to sing like we would have last year. It is disappointing. Oh God, I didn't yeah. even think of <laughs> <The> that, Claire. <laughs> yeah. um, so it might be, it's a disappointing that we can't do things exactly like we did last year, but we'll try and adapt them and try and do them in smaller groups or we'll try and do them outdoors. Outdoors is a great one at the moment with mm. the nice weather. So yeah. hopefully we can kind of adapt our way of teaching. I suppose that's what we have to do.
0: I think as well, you know, sometimes people, forget that six months of a five-year-old's life is one-tenth of their life.
1: Yeah, it's huge. It seems
0: for us six months is like, well, it's a significant amount of time, but you know, it's six months, it's, you know, whatever. But like a tenth of your life and such a massive it's huge
1: for them yeah and it's a part of like their socialisation everything has kind of been stunted from this you know Mm. they haven't been able to meet even friends the neighbours and stuff it's literally been their little bubble of their family Mm. for this six months and like it definitely we've seen some of the children have kind of regressed a little bit because they haven't had their social interaction they haven't had time to play they haven't had time to just be a child Mm. they're hearing these little things like I was only listening to a kid on yard the other day and one of them wanted to high five with him and he said I can't high five it's the Ronan disease we can't (laughs) high five so like it's not even that they know the language (laughs) of Corona but the Ronan disease so they weren't able to high five God (laughs) love anyone called Ronan exactly (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But like they're clearly been told at home, you know, keep your distance, don't touch your friends. And, you know, it's all kind of Mm. no matter whether they actually know the name or not, they know there's something dangerous out there that they have to be protected from. Yeah. yeah.
0: I mean, I suppose it's probably good that children are notoriously adaptable and kind of inherently resilient. So I guess even for any of them that you have noticed that bit of regression or Mm. that sort of stunted development in terms of their socialisation, If parents who have observed that are worried, like, would you
1: say, don't worry, they'll catch up? Like, it's not a permanent thing. Like, it's definitely not a permanent thing. And like, once they have their one good adult at home, so that could be, you know, mom, dad, or it could be an auntie, uncle, it could be a grandparent whatever. Once they have that good parent at home that they can say, or the the carer at home, that they can say, look, I had a, a hard day today or, you know. School isn't the way it's meant to be. Yeah. Um, once they can say that to them or talk to them at home, they're going to be OK. You know, yeah. there's there's a bright side to this as well. We got back to school. We're now in school, you know, over a few weeks. Mm. And, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel. They will get there. So it's more about kind of explaining to them, OK, there is something in the world at the moment. Mammy, daddy, carer doesn't know how to deal with it, but... You know, hopefully, eventually we'll be able to, if we continue to, you know, wash our hands and cover our coughs and sneezes, that eventually this might go away and we'll be able to go back to some type of normal. So, yeah, yeah, to kind of focus on the things yeah. they
0: can control. And yeah, sort of.
1: exactly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So I suppose in terms of those sorts of things, like things that parents can do or carers can do or members of the wider family, to support the emotional well-being of smaller
1: children, what are some of the kind of key things that you would recommend people to do? Yeah, so I suppose there is an element of worry around that kind of idea. So I think the worry monster is a brilliant one. We've used it lots in school. So... um If a child is kind of finding something a little bit worrying or whatever, they draw a picture or they write a sentence and pop it in the worry monster. You can get them in lots of the shops and they kind of look cool or you can make one yourself out of a cardboard box. So that's kind of a nice kind of concrete one. And the other thing I think is really important for parents to give their children the words to be able to express their feelings so like there's more the um, feelings than happy and sad yeah so like giving them the you know angry I'm upset I, you know these feelings in our tummy it mightn't be a physical feeling but it is a feeling maybe that I'm feeling a little bit anxious or you know if you give your children them words they'll be able to talk to you mm-hmm. as a, pa- a parent or as a carer um, <laughs> you're reminding
0: so. me of years ago I was babysitting a child that was like freaking out about something and I remember just like that saying, "Are you a bit frustrated?" And they were
1: like, "I don't know what that, that is." Means, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah okay, that's fair enough. Yes. it yeah. this might be a bit of a like big. Concept. Just a word like that we hear every day, but like <laughs> yeah. children, they need to be given the words to be able to express it. Yeah. And when
0: you say that, like, give them the words. Are mm. you tying the word to a physical experience?
1: Yeah. So at times we would. So if you if a child is constantly coming up to you and saying I have p- pains in my tummy or I have a headache or they can be actual physical symptoms of, you know, a feeling that they're having. Um, at Other times you can just be really angry and, you know, you might actually have a physical, I suppose, feeling as well there. But mm-hmm. you could be just really angry and they need to get that word. Yeah. But yeah, tying it to a physical feeling can be really important because sh- like obviously if you're feeling a little bit sad, you're going to have tears coming out of your eyes and saying, look, I think you might be feeling a little bit sad here. Um, If you're frustrated, you might have your your fists together and you're really, you know, and I suppose angry as well. You might have a a red face. So Mm. actually saying to them, look, you know, take a breath. We're going to think about this. You know, you have your fists clenched there. Do you think you might be a little bit angry? or you're stamping your feet. I think you might be a little bit angry. Do you agree? Another thing that works is colours. You know, if you say, um, what colour are you feeling? Often, like, they might you know gravitate towards if it's green okay I'm a little bit calm if I'm red you know you can kind of sense okay they're feeling a bit angry here if it's yeah you know the colours really help well personally myself anyway colours are weather you know yes colours are weather yeah weather is a good one and obviously with all the storms we had last year and stuff they can connect a little bit with that so if they're stormy I say we know what feeling they're feeling Yeah. Yeah. but
0: it's that is really good advice that either whether it's with the worry monster of getting it out of their head and onto paper and into something else or to give them those tools to help if they're struggling to express it, to help you understand it, to help
1: them express. And I suppose as well, not always focusing on vocabulary or focusing on words, you know, children express in different ways. If uh, I know Dan Siegel always says the body keeps the score. So if you think like a child is kind of very pent up, maybe get them dancing, get them running, get them jumping, you know, just to release that out of them rather than you know having to say uh, you know that they have to use the word that maybe they could use their body to express it as well yeah that's great advice what kind of signs would you look
0: out for or would you notice that would make you think I don't know that that little guy is actually doing great or I think that girl might be actually quite worried or upset yeah so
1: if you kind of see that the children find it difficult to concentrate that can be a big one or they might be kind of coming in late to school that could be kind of part of what's happening at home and mm-hmm. um, they mightn't be eating their lunch or you know generally in the yard time they might be at the peripherals of the yard not kind of hanging out with their friends when they normally would have um, or as I said you know they might have the pains in their tummy or they might be saying that they've had he- a constant headache or just generally not being able to concentrate the concentration one's a big thing that you can kind of notice okay there mightn't be something right here yeah. and just ask them the questions you know it's yeah. all going okay you know um, or is there anything that you'd like to talk about Mm. and give them maybe like small little goals that you can aim towards because there's a lot of times I was saying earlier that there's a lot of times that we're telling them you can't do this now or this can't happen you know Um, like to tell them maybe just small little goals at the end of the day you know tonight we're going to have hot chocolate that's Mm. something we can do it's tangible it's something we can do Um, tomorrow we're going to go in the car for a drive. That's something yeah. that hopefully, even lockdown is not going to stop me doing. Yes. You know, give them small little goals of cans mm-hmm. rather than cans you are a primary school
0: teacher, but you're also a drama therapist, Claire. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering how could parents maybe help themselves and their children in terms of tapping into that? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm conscious, like, we're staring down the barrel of a long winter yeah. and the weather yeah. isn't going to be as good and there's yeah. going to be a lot of potentially pent-up emotions and pent-up yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so I think, Definitely creativity is going to get us through this pandemic. Like without creativity, we're just, we have no escapism. You know, that's the one thing that I would say as a drama therapist, I would say creativity is what gets me out of my head. At home, messy play is amazing. You know, give them shaving foam, give them mud, give them um, play. I do your popularity rising. Yeah, and yeah, and yeah as you go, <laughs> yeah. But you know, uh, uh, A messy child is a happy child. That's the way I say it. Yeah. Give them overalls so that they can, you know, mess around. Messy play is really, really important for children's development and their creativity.
0: I think that advice about changing can't to can is just a really accessible way to bring a bit of positivity and predictability back into young children's lives that not everything has to be cancelled because of coronavirus. There are still things to look forward to. It's a great way of instilling those little bits of hope that are so essential to our well-being. Well, the next group we're going to focus on is teenagers who I think we can all agree have had a rough time of it over the last few months and got a lot of unfair stick actually as well. We'll be hearing from child and adolescent psychotherapist and assistant professor at UCD, Colman Nocter, shortly. But first, I just wanted to get a sense of what it's been like experiencing the last six months as a teenager to hear straight from the horse's mouth, basically. So fifth year student at Mount Rath Community School in Leash, Claudine Moore, had a chat with me about it. Were you mad to get back to school? Were you just like absolutely desperate to get back? Or is it kind of weird now to be back?
2: At the start, I was absolutely dying to get back. I was looking forward to getting homework and everything. But now that I'm back and after like, because I did TY last year as well. So that's like a full year of not actually doing homework or proper schoolwork, if you get me. Yeah. And now that we're back, we're getting like loads of work and it's just... So hard to adapt back to, uh, back into it now. But, yeah, it's, it's weird now anyway. Like, at the start, like, I suppose the excitement of wanting to do a bit of, like, schoolwork was, like, passing over me. But now it's just weird, I suppose.
0: And, Camille, what's it like physically in school? Like, because, you know, I imagine all the kind of crack that you would usually have at lunchtime or hanging out together on the way into school or any of those things. That's all really different now, I'm sure.
2: Well I get the bus to school, so like I've I'm wearing the mask from twenty to eight in the morning. Um and then I get into school around eight and we have to wear the masks in school all the time and we have zones then where we're supposed to go. So everyone is like distance apart and if you're not distance you're wearing a mask and then In classrooms, all the tables are one metre apart from each other. And I suppose, like, that's not that much of a big deal. But at break time, it's hard because you're, like, conscious of who you're near and you're conscious of, like, kind of keeping to your own friend group because you know where they're being and, like, what they're doing when they're Mm. not in school, really. I have to say,
0: that sounds really... That would take me a lot to get used to being in my masks for that long.
2: When you're wearing it for the full day... Mm. And you don't actually realise how warm it gets until you take it off when you go outside. Yeah. So I have no breathing problems. Like I have no asthma or any respiratory problems. So it's not, it doesn't affect me too much. Like I don't really find it as hard to breathe as I say other people. Does COVID sort of
0: dominate conversation now is it like all that you talk about or has it sort of gone a little bit into the background and are you back able to just talk about normal stuff
2: with friends it's not not really all like covid related but with teachers it is I suppose because like we have to wash down the desks and after before and after every class but with friends not really because I don't know it's I suppose it's not something that's really fun to talk about (laughs) so it's good that Like you have friends to talk about different things that like just silly things that just make your day and it's not anything related to COVID at all.
0: I know for adults, like for me and for my friends, you know, we get a bit anxious thinking about the future and thinking about cheapers. what's going to happen at Christmas and what's going to happen next year. Like, do you allow your mind to wander that far or are you sort of just living on a kind of week to week basis?
2: I think about college a lot and what I want to do after school and especially with the leave-in cert now there's huge talks about will there be predicted grades or will my year have to sit the leave-in so it is kind of again it's all the unknown like you you just have to be prepared in a way but it, it, it does take like a big toll on like I suppose how my mind wanders because it's so like unknown and we don't know how to prepare for it yet really.
0: What do you miss the most Claudine?
2: Well, um, I can't hug my granny. So mm. that that's a really big thing. I can't like she our, we built our house onto hers. So we we're able to go in but not go anywhere near her. So I haven't like hugged her since March. So that's one thing I suppose I miss the most.
0: There's not much that a hug from your granny doesn't make better in fairness. Well, now we're going to talk a little bit about how we can support young people like Claudine and her friends as this pandemic and period of uncertainty persists. I'm joined by child and adolescent psychotherapist and assistant professor at UCD, Colman Nochter, who begins by telling us what he's seeing from a professional perspective among the young people that he works with.
3: Having worked for many years in child and adolescent mental health services, you don't tend to see the problems during the summer holidays. It tends to be when the return to school and return to normality is happening. And I suppose this last number of months as people starting to, to engage or prepare to return to school, we have seen an increase in the anxiety for young people and trying to get used to this new abnormal way of being. And many have done very well and have managed to, uh, and, and readjusted to this new abnormal very well. Others have struggled and understandably so. The the school they left in March is very different to the school that they're going back to. And many will be unnerved by the the hand sanitizers and, you know, being having to have temperature checks and wearing masks, etc. It's a very new way of trying to be and trying to get on with schoolwork and, you know, trying to get used to all the different routines and things. I would say a majority have managed that very well. But of course, there are those who, who will struggle and will be ang- anxious about it. But even those who may be not talking about their anxiety they're not immune to the uncertainty that we're all experiencing. So the idea of the potential for second surges and, you know, the the, the flu and the winter coming and, you know, all the media coverage around how we need to be uh, kind of high, hypervigilant and local lockdowns, uh, young people are not immune to that. So they, they'll equally be as concerned or upset by that as, as normal. But on the whole, I think they have done really well to, really react in a way that seems to have a maturity and wisdom about uh, about them that, you know, that they're, it's probably not as bad as we thought it might have been.
0: What kinds of things can parents do to support young people and sort of steel them for the fact that, like, look, it feels like what we went through was tough, but we're potentially going to be going through something even tougher?
3: What we noticed over the lockdown period was that a lot of the things that we would normally do to maintain what I describe as kind of mental fitness, like, you know, meeting up with friends, socializing, exercise, community, volunteering, a lot of that stuff wasn't available to us. And so in many ways as a, a population, we became very creative around meeting outdoors and managing to to, to try and make as best uh, and be as creative as possible to maintain a a social connection again with darker evenings weather deteriorating and you know the potential for for more restrictions that is going to be much more of a challenge um and again we may see a return to a, a more of a dependency on computer mediated or technology mediated communication for a period of time which again is not ideal but i think over the time we've probably become quite adept at doing that and we can see how you know, remote working and blended learning and these things have, have just become part of what we do um, so i think we'll have a, an extra skill set to be as creative as possible within that and it may feel less new to us than it maybe did back in march but of course it being the winter it being kind of the the outdoor spaces certainly not being as available to us will present a challenge that we're going to have to manage a little bit differently and as parents i suppose you need to re Encourage young people to maintain the social connection and, and I think from the point of view of one of the unfortunate phrases or narratives that came out of, has come out of covid nineteen is is social distancing. I would much have preferred physical distancing mm-hmm. because the social distancing insinuates some sort of loneliness or or or, or certainly a disconnect, and we can still maintain our social connections. We just have to do it in a different way and we have to be as creative as possible in that. And I think our social muscle is one of the things probably over lockdown that we let slip. And a lot of teenagers that I had spoken to had kind of said, you know, They became avoidant of re-engaging in social behaviours, even though they were permitted to do it because they'd kind of, as one person said, I've lost the appetite for it. And if you don't have an awful lot to talk about, like we didn't there was no sport, there was no nice house, there was nothing. We weren't really able to shoot the breeze with each other because there wasn't a lot to talk about. That's different now. And I think because we've we've re-engaged in some degree of normality, the, the social communication may indeed be a little bit easier despite the circumstances of making it happen being a little bit more difficult.
0: If, as winter goes on, again, trying to sort of future-proof against what we may encounter in the coming months, what kinds of things should parents keep an eye out for just to sort of check in with their young people that they are coping, that they are doing OK? Are there any particular signs that you would sort of say, mm, just watch that, just monitor that if you see it?
3: Probably teenagers respond to anxiety a little bit different than adults. And so you might see, for example, in teenage boys, you'll see what comes across as kind of hostility or irritability can sometimes be the origin of that stress can be anxiety. Um, They they tend not to formulate a, a narrative around being worried or stressed. They can just become angry and a little bit cantankerous if, if that mm. be. And so as much as that is part of normative adolescent development, if you're seeing an increase in that and perhaps a frustration of that, that may be due to stress. And again, young people, especially older teenagers, there is a lot of concerns that they have that perhaps as, as adults we're not really cluing into. And again, I think for those who've gone through sixth year without having a leaving cert and now... Are commencing college with uh from their sitting rooms they're missing out on a huge amount of a of a third level experience, which is the kind of freshers' week and you know meeting people living independently all that sort of stuff and so that's a very kind of muted and and sterile introduction to what would be a fairly important milestone and you know those of those who were who were in fifth year last year you know they lost a chunk of their curriculum time because of covid nineteen and and you know they're going to be worried about. How their leaving certs are going to go, and and whether they will be competing with a lot of, of repeaters who may have you know pushed back from the predictive grades mm-hmm. last year, and you know so there's lots and lots of um, uh, cohorts of teenagers those who maybe have started into first year who never got to say goodbye or do the ceremonial bits of of leaving, um, the the primary school part of life behind, so they they will have worries. You know adolescence is a time of, of experimentation in terms of intimacy and meeting people and relationships and drama and you know with the the current restrictions there is a fear that they're not getting to meet new people or to to, to start relationships and with the unendingness of the pandemic and and the kind of waiting for vaccines and things like that there is a worry that they'll miss out on on a very significant window of experience of their time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, And, of course. Uh, and again, these are things that probably as adults we can kind of dismiss. But uh, as a 16-year-old, you know, romance, life and, and relationships are pretty important. Uh, and it's important for us not to be dismissive of that because just because it's not as big an issue for us in our own life stage it doesn't mean it's not massive for them.
0: In terms of minimising uncertainty for young people or not even minimising it sorry that's not the word putting it in context how do you do that when the, by its very nature it is uncertain and it doesn't have an end point point? and any of the kind of normal things you would say like I know this is tough but come the summer the exams will be over or you know come whatever time this will be over it's it's harder to do that in the context of this particular situation. So, you know, have you any kind of advice as to how people can sort of just reassure and maybe minimise the impact of that feeling of uncertainty?
3: Yeah, the difficulty being when somebody comes to you with very irrational fears, it's sometimes easier than someone who's coming to you with a rational one, do you yeah. know, because this is a real thing. Um, uh, this isn 't somebody blowing something out of proportion, and so your your skill set of trying to put context to perspective and reality is although it 's challenged it 's still exactly what you have to do. You have to put context to it, and you know teenagers will be short term thinkers they won 't have the longer view, so mm. trying to remind them that you know through life these things have happened, and you know i 'd imagine that people who were going through world wars or things, they never thought that would end either. But it does. These things will come to a conclusion. Um, Although we don't know when the conclusion will happen, nothing lasts forever. And so from the point of view of you kind of have to keep some degree of hope and try not to get sucked into perhaps a fatalism around it all being doomed. Um, In terms of the perspective, you try and reassure them of what they can do to try and maintain... Their own sense of well-being, or or productivity, or or happiness, or contentment, and trying to encourage them to try and keep involved in that, and keep keep connected with the 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 things that give them joy, and actually trying to to give young people opportunities to do things that that they enjoy can be really powerful, actually, because you know the more joyful experiences we have, the more resilient and the more able we will feel to manage adversity.
0: Just that idea of having something in your day where you can be carefree, where what you're doing doesn't have to have a purpose. Like you could see everybody that went on a staycation coming back going, oh yeah, look, we're just splashing around in the sea, but like, I feel amazing. You know, just that idea of finally getting an opportunity to just disconnect from the daily thing of, have you your mass? Have we washed our hands? Have we done this? Have we packed that? Are you okay? And who's going to pick up, you know? Just to have something that is carefree is, yeah, really important, I think, for all of us, (laughs) including. I do.
3: I I think that we underestimate the power of a laugh. We underestimate the power of fun. Um, And as we get older, we kind of maybe lose our connection with the importance of that. Um, And teenagers tend to not they're not very demonstrative of fun with adults, but, um, you know, they do enjoy it. And you, 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 again, again, looking at teenagers, we can either see them as, as as young adults or old children. And the reality is they're both. Um, and as much as they may strive for the independence and the kind of uh, stoicism of having it all together, there's a, there's a child in them too, which is worried and nervous. But that child will also enjoy fun and connection and joy.
0: I'm struck by how Coleman's advice to find joy and to have a laugh echoes what Claire was talking about at the start of the podcast about the importance of play, like giving ourselves, whatever our age, the permission to just have a bit of fun and be a bit silly. Well, one group who definitely need a bit of crack at this stage is parents. At the end of season one, we spoke to Louise McSharry about the challenge of looking after children without any of the usual supports or outlets available. And now a few months on, as things have settled a little bit, but we still know we're looking ahead to a challenging winter, CEO of ParentLine Aileen Hickey is here to talk about stress, support and the coping strategies parents can lean on in the months ahead.
4: Parents have had a huge amount of worries and and, and actually for, for ParentLine, we have seen a spike in calls over the last, um, particularly over the last four or five months. Um, so our calls are up about 32% on where they were this time last year. That's a massive increase for us um, and it puts a lot of pressure on the service just to tell us a bit about the service like it's essentially
0: a confidential helpline for parents who need support or guidance or just a listening ear from somebody
4: who understands what well, I primarily what we do is we the, the, the volunteers uh, who are a fabulous bunch of people we've about 40 volunteers working with parentline what they do is you know they listen you know without giving advice because listening isn't always about giving advice it's about letting parents um, tell their story um, and making them feel heard and understood and that they're not on their own. Um, and, you know, our, our callers can be all ages. They can be young parents um, right through to grandparents. Um, the, the only thing they, they all have in common is that, you know, they're all looking for help. So, you know, it can be you or it can be me. As, as i say the, the thing is they're all, they're all looking for a bit of help or a listening ear you know the, the reason why um parentline is such an important service um and probably increasingly important um is that you know i, I suppose you know maybe that there's been a perception that you know um this generation of parenting or the last generation of parenting that we're you know maybe more knowledgeable than than previous parenting generations um and that you know you know that that we do things differently but actually the thing about it is parenting doesn't change it doesn't change year on year and it doesn't change generationally i mean parent line gives you know parents a chance maybe for the first time to talk openly about their problems um and to get you know very much a a a non-judgmental and a confidential ear that they can speak into And just bringing it back to COVID and the pandemic that we're in at the moment, like what are
0: some of the most sort of common COVID related issues that parents are contacting you about?
4: Because I imagine they're burned out at this stage. Right through the lockdown and then the subsequent reopening um, of the restrictions, we've had parents who have contacted us about the usual issues. But again, they're they're exacerbated, you know, anxiety, uh, um, anger, aggression, teenage issues, Again, as I say, the uncertainty over the school reopening. Now the schools have reopened, um there's been a, an issue with school refusal, which is a, an issue that you know that, that crops up all the time anyway. Um, when you say school um, refusal, uh, the, Aileen, do you mean children refusing to go to school? Absolutely, yes, yeah, right. children refusing to go to school. You know, and if you've got a big fifteen-year-old who's refusing to get out of bed, you know, I mean. How do you physically drag them there? Because yeah. you don't, you know. So it, it, it's finding ways around that. The whole worries of um social media use. I suppose the fears of, you know, um, are they keeping themselves safe in their terms of their social media use or, um, overuse of the internet or overuse of online gaming or, um, all that sort of thing. Now, one one of the areas that well, there's a few areas that we have seen have yeah. a, a, a particularly large increase. In the last six months, and one of those is uh, a particularly dark area, I suppose, in that it's, it's by far our biggest spike in calls in child-to-parent violence in the family home. Right. In ParentLine, we provide a particular response program to it. It's called the um, Nonviolent Resistance Program, and um, we have a number of volunteers who are trained in delivering that program over the phone. What our program tries to do is tries to kind of end those behavior patterns whereby. Um, children, and these are children aged from maybe ten or eleven, right through to adult children, are both verbally and physically abusing um their parents, and you know, and there are parents who are fearful, in you know, in their own homes. So we we try and equip them with the tools, um, through the through our nonviolent re- um resistance program known as the NVR, to try and end those behavior patterns and try and repair the damaged relationships and try and de-escalate what are often very difficult situations. There is this idea
0: that, you know, people, young people are so frustrated, have been so, have had their lives curtailed and I'm sure are scared as well and are anxious about what's going on. And I can imagine that provides in certain people a particular kind of a cocktail that just manifests in those kinds of ways that you're describing. And I can see how you say, how how you'd respond to it could potentially really escalate it or has the power to de-escalate it? Yeah, it
4: could make it, Yeah, it, could, well, it, it can either, you know, let it get out of hand or it can, you know, start repairing and de-escalate yeah. what can be a very difficult situation. But, you know, I, I, you know, just touching on a point that you mentioned there, you know, absolutely, you know, I mean, yes, parents have had a hugely difficult time for the last six months but so have children um, and, um, you know, I, I mean, they, they really needed to be listened to and they need to be Shown support and love, you know because actually you know children didn 't see the last six months as a holiday, yeah now neither did parents by the way, but yeah. i mean what what children saw it as was essentially was wasted time, time they could be spending in school or in college or with their friends or you know playing sport or socializing whatever you know, so they didn 't see this as a long extended holiday, having had an intense six months. How can parents help to just keep the old uh, resilience and resourcefulness levels up? Routine is the kind of is the key to everything, and you know if you show if you have a good routine and a good pattern in terms of your own exercise and your own food and your own sleep, you know I suppose it's, it's kind of like you know you lead from the front, you know so they will then also, your children will then also benefit, you know, from that routine. Um, and I suppose, you know, I suppose you have to say to parents that they have to prioritise, they have to prioritise their own needs and they have to feel like they're doing a good enough job. And, you know, the other thing that you have to think about, you know, when you're dealing with your children is you have to, you know, I, I continue to have to remind myself of this, is that, you know, yes, there are difficult times, but, you know, they, they really are gone in the blink of an eye. um And, you know, I, I mean... What I always say is, you know, you, you, you kind of never know that you've held a child's hand walking down the road for the last time until the day they refuse to hold your hand walking down the road. So, you know, you have to kind of remember those kind of things. And I suppose and, and you know, and again, I suppose pick your pick your battles and pick your arguments Um, you know, try and uh, help yourself if you're going to help them along. And, and again as i say one of the key things is just remembering that you don't have to be the perfect parent that you don't you know that it, it is okay to be a good enough parent and that it's okay to say that you don't have all the answers you know you're not expected to have all the answers and it's it's good to tell them that you don't have all the answers like we, we are there you know to, to support and give information and give guidance um so i mean again you know we we're, we're very you know the volunteers are there they're very happy to talk they're very happy to 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 give a listening ear uh, our lines are open between Monday and Thursday uh, from 10 a.m. until 9 p.m. and on a Friday from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. And the numbers uh, to get in touch with ParentLine are 018733500. That's 018733500 or 1890927. 277. We also have a very good website that actually we, again I suppose the the, the lockdown restrictions gave us a bit more time to redevelop it so we we reconstructed and developed um, a new ParentLine website and it is a fabulous resource for any parent who wants to look at the issues that we have um, listened to you know, on the phone, not just over the last six months, but over the last numbers of years, because really there's probably no call a parent can make that that one of the volunteers hasn't heard before.
0: I really hope if you are a parent listening that you will head over to parentline.ie and have a look around or lift the phone to have a chat with someone who knows how tough it can be and will offer that listening and crucially non-judgmental ear. Thanks so much for joining me today. It's great to be back. We'll talk to you in another few weeks about the changing face of work, the stress of job loss and the importance of minding your mental health through all of it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again soon. In the meantime, mind yourself. OK is created and edited by Paul Moriarty and me, Janne Liannogon. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in the podcast, you can find helpline information at rte.ie forward slash helplines.